This is the Blue Bomber Podcast with CFL Hall of Famer and my broadcast partner, Doug Brown. It was like a head-on car accident there. Had to piggyback him, grab onto his waist as he pulled him, kind of like a tractor pull there for a couple yards. You can play it safe. You don't have to take these risks and just nickel and dime your way down the field. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast in iTunes or at CJOB.com. It is the one, the only Blue Bomber podcast. Doug Brown, Greg Mackling with you. Thanks for tuning in again. We want to thank everybody for entering for those Blue Bomber tickets last week. I don't have a winner for you, but if you won, you know you won because we reached out and you've got tickets coming for this Thursday's game against the Montreal Alouettes here at IGF. Doug Brown, fresh off a flight from Vancouver and the Blue Bomber podcast looking ahead to Montreal, but we can't look ahead without looking back. We have to learn from our mistakes in our past, right? imperative Doug Brown (laughs) can I just ask you this the simple way I'm trying to channel my inner David Letterman (laughs) asking the question if you were Justin Medlock I'd be looking at you and I'd be going what were you thinking yeah, and you know, I, I think you've kind of unearthed that because the longer you look at this, the longer you think about it, it doesn't seem like it was the call of the head coach to do this, right? Mm-hmm. He had a, in my mind, uh, there was a couple times in, in my career where I was forced to go into special teams meetings, and a couple things I picked up is when you have a fake prepared in practice, and the Bombers apparently had like a, a farmer's dozen uh, fakes going into this game, but you have an alert, so when the scenario comes up and and you so say it's a punt and you're going to have a coverage team or, or whatever you're going to do, uh, so you have your call and then you have an alert about the fake, right? In case the scenario presents itself and you can attack it. And I How think, does this alert go out? Like, I mean, I know I'm not wearing my iPhone when I'm out on the field. So how is this alert delivered and how is it received? I, I think when the groups is huddled together and, and or on the sideline, it's going to, you know, it's alert this, alert this play, right? Then they have a name that they'll have for whatever fake it is. So in my mind... Uh, you know, Medlock had the green light, and he had the green light all game. I think it was implied that on third and 15, you know, on your 26-yard line when you're up by eight points in the fourth quarter. The green light is red? The green light should at least be a caution, <laughs> should at least be yellow, right? So, Turning red. So to, Medlock's uh, a typical Winnipegger. He sees, he sees Amber, and he thinks that means go faster. Yeah, you know, there's something we say in football. It's called overcoming your coaching okay so a lot of times coaches tell you to do something and you you can't just be a robot and just say okay in every single scenario this is this is what they said you can't just do it to the letter to the t there is some interpretation and you have to get perspective on the moment i think and what is interesting is uh, i think you know uh, michael shea famous for covering for his players and and taking the heat and putting it all on him um i'm a little bit surprised that medlock didn't kind of step up and say hey yeah we had the green light but you know it was my discretion on when to to go after that that opportunity we had and I probably should have exercised it in a better fashion because it really sounded uh, you know from all the reaction we got after the game is that Michael Shea was falling on the sword for this and that might have been the case in the sense that hey Medlock you see this you have the green light to take it but I think it's implied you know if you're a veteran football player and you have good football sense not in that scenario uh, zero times out of a thousand should you probably do that in that scenario and I just don't think that came out clear I don't necessarily know if, if Justin went out and took that opportunity to say hey you know uh, I probably uh, should have used 
my judgment in uh, in a better fashion in terms of uh, taking advantage of that opportunity that I saw unfolding. Okay, put your player helmet back on. Okay, and you hear your coach falling on the sword for a mistake that you have made. Do you a stay silent, offer no comment, or do you thank your coach in the media and say, you know yeah. what, coach had our back there, or is it sort of understood that that's the kind of coach that Mike O'Shea is, and that what goes on inside the room stays in the room? Where does this sort out? I, you know, if that's me and and it was my call and and I was given the green light to do it any time during the game and I chose that moment, I think you just got to eat it. I think you thank your coach. You say, hey, I appreciate, you know, Coach O'Shea saying that was his decision, but, you know, when to exercise my uh, my authority on that special teams play to, to run a, a fake, you know, that's on me. That's kind of thing. And, and you know, you just uh, – it's it's always out there, you know. Coaches will always take that, but uh, I don't know. It's just my opinion that I, I would have uh, just owned up to it because now there's all it's all this debate that's out there over who did it and 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 what and why and and it's just something you you own. It's not like I don't know. Yeah, I, I don't know. It's not like the consequences of being honest in that situation, you know, are so dire or anything like that. So I, I don't quite get it. We believe that kickers are out on their own island to begin with. And I suppose that you would reaffirm that belief as a former player that kickers have a different personality. They go about things a different way. So there, there may already be a little bit of a lack of a relationship between Justin Medlock and the rest of his teammates. Once again, you can go in as deep into detail on your past experience experience on that as you'd like to. Does this risk uh, Medlock alienating himself from his teammates further by taking the position that he's had? Because he spoke to CJOB on Saturday night yeah. about this or Friday night about this. And then now that he's got back uh, from the road trip, he's delivering no comment. Uh, how's this going to be received in the dressing room? Yeah, you know, it's not... It- it's how big it becomes when it's not clarified. I think that, to me, is, a, is the, the biggest uh, consequence or outcome of this, is that it's still hazy about what happened. And, and now what you have is you have the head coach uh, really just making it a bigger mess than it needed to be. It's not clarified. You know, when he comes on the record and he says, when we have the ball, it's offensive football. You know, to me, that's defending. That's trying to create justification for why they were trying to and when we have the ball, it's offensive football. Well, when you have the ball and it's third down and it's 15 to go and it's on your, it's not offensive football. When it's it's third and 15 on your own 26-yard line in the fourth quarter, up by eight points. That's, it the, is first, not that's the first play of your defensive so, stand, right? <laughs> that is, yeah. You are creating space. It is not offensive. So what happens is when there's not clarity brought to the situation, it just you're just digging a, be, a deeper hole, and you're you're putting more and more untruths, and you're just piling it higher, and you lose credibility in terms of everything you say. Now we're you know is this guy lying to our faces or not? Because you. Everything to, I just don't think the outcome justifies the whole process here. You're trying to protect one of your players, but what are you do? What are you creating, and what are you exposing yourself as, and and what are you putting everyone through in order to try and stick with your mandate of covering up for someone? So it's interesting. Is this the prime example or a prime example of what NFL CFL coaches detest about the fact that the media is allowed to talk to their <laughs> players that the head coaches detest about the media being able to talk 
to their position coaches, the, the control the message thing that yeah. we heard the mantra we heard from Mike Kelly during his time here. And Mike O'Shea has been not that dissimilar in terms of wanting to control the message. Is this the type of thing that they detest having to deal with this type of distraction? Yeah, yeah. They don't understand why, you know, or a lot of coaches don't understand why or how or how dare you question, you know, or it's none of your business kind of thing. And you just want answers and you want openness. And and in my mind, some of the most effective motivation I've had is if I have been called out by a coach or I have been brutally honest or truthful with the media and exposed myself as making a mistake and and it's publicized and and guess what you know you feel that pressure and and that culpability and you address it and you go forward you put it behind you and you try to you try to make amends but if you just hide it and you sweep it under the rug and you you don't necessarily treat are you treating someone like a man when you make an excuse or you cover for are you inherently saying to your player hey we don't think you can handle this scrutiny or this scope of of attention so we're just don't worry about it kind of thing i know we all make mistakes like no one is going to judge you and say oh well you should have been perfect with everything you did through an 18 game football season um, if anything we just you have more respect for someone if they're honest and they admit to their faults and and mistakes they've made and hey, that was me. I ate it. I don't know what I was thinking. Um, hopefully I can make amends and, and do better in the following week. And unfortunately, in his original comments, Justin Medlock only uh, uttered about 1% of what you just voiced there. And that was the idea that, oh, this is offensive football. It's a mistake. We'll learn from it. But there was no, none of that contrition that we would like to see from a player as a fan base and certainly uh, here in the media. We're going to take a break. Jake Thomas is going to join us uh, in our next segment. We will talk to Jake about his incredible interception and the... Uh, and the mindfulness that he had to get rid of the ball and whether or not he got in no trouble limitations. for doing that. <laughs> Living within the uh, the realm of work and the skill set uh, that God has given you. We'll talk about that a little bit more with Jake Thomas. And Doug, I got to ask you, in our final segment, why are the Blue Bombers going to these trick plays? It seems to be, and it seems to you, and it seems to me, that it's more often than it ought to be. It's the Blue Bomber Podcast. Stick around. Whether Bomber fans call or text, Bob Irving makes sure your questions get answers from Mike O'Shea. It's your chance to stay connected to the blue and gold. The Payworks Bombers Coaches Show with Mike O'Shea and Bob Irving, Monday at 7 on CJOB. Hey, it's Greg Mackling for Doug Brown and the Blue Bomber Podcast. We love to send you to Blue Bomber games, but we can't send everyone we draw for a pair of tickets after every podcast, so please send this week to 204-780-6868. The keyword Knox. That is your ticket to Blue Bomber Action. 204-780-6868. Text the word Knox. K-N-O-X for Kyle Knox. And if we choose your name, you're off to a Blue Bomber football game, courtesy of the Blue Bomber Podcast. Welcome back to the Blue Bomber Podcast with Doug Brown. Let's get back to the action. Lule now backs up, nowhere to go. Oh, and it picked off by Jake Thomas. Lule tried to force the pass. Thomas then laterals it to Kyle Knox. Tiptoes down the right sidelines. Touchdown, Blue Bombers. Thomas on the interception, then the lateral to Kyle Knox. 
Jake Thomas joins us now, member of the Winnipeg Blue Bombers defensive line and the Blue Bombers, of course, recuperating from their 45-42 loss in British Columbia. Jake, you had a pretty big play in that game. Presence of mind is something that we talk about in this sport of football. What gave you the presence of mind to hand that ball to Kyle Knox and have him rush it into the end zone? Uh, Anytime we're talking about uh, getting turnovers on defense, we always talk about trying to score. So, uh, you know, uh, I was kind of just, once I I was first, I guess I was kind of surprised I actually caught the ball. But then, uh, you know, as they were kind of holding me up, I was just kind of seeing if anyone was there. And, uh, you know, luckily, Noxie was running towards the uh, play. So I just saw him there and handed the ball off. You know, Jake, a lot of people think... uh that Darvin Adams and that one-handed catch in that corner pattern was the play of the game. I happen to think that what you did was the play of the game because that's his job, right? It's Darvin yeah. Adams' job to cut, to catch touchdown passes. It's not really your job as a nose tackle or an interior player to make interceptions. So, you know, at what point after you caught that were you like, I need to get this ball out of my hands into someone that has a better shot of making the end zone? Was it automatic or were you considering making your own uh, your own move and your own return? Yeah, no. At first, you know, it felt like I had the ball for a long time. Then I watched on film, and it it seemed like only a few seconds. But you know, at first, I was just trying to secure the uh, catch. Then uh, once they kind of had me wrapped up, I realized there's nothing really more I could do. So I was just kind of. They didn't really take me to the ground right away, so it's just kind of scanning around. I played a lot of rugby growing up, so it's kind of how you do it in rugby. If they don't take you to the ground, you just kind of find a teammate. So I think that definitely helped me out on that play. Did Did you get any uh, any flack from the coaches about a lot of coaches don't like you know when a uh, uh, say a defensive lineman uh, people that that play the position that we played we don't have a lot of experience handling football, so a lot of times our coaches are like, hey, if you even come near football, you just fall off. <laughs> on it and don't you know did anyone give you any any flack for doing something athletic with the football and and taking that chance you know that it could have been fumbled or anything did you did you catch any feedback from that no uh, i didn't get too much flack you know i especially having coach o'shea he always anytime we can make a play he's all about the guys trying to make a big play as you can see a lot in our special team stuff you know, uh, but, I, you know, the week before, I think, or the day before, the Edmonton guy, unfortunately, his uh, lateral didn't work. So I think I would have got a bit more flack if I would have tried to pitch it instead of just handing it off. So the natural progression, I think, from what you've accomplished here, you have to ride the wave of momentum. I think you need to go to your defensive coordinator. Have you gone to him yet and asked about whether you should be dropping into coverage now or not? Ah, uh, no. Zone dogs. I, you don't want to build I, I, on this. Uh, we'll see. You know, uh, it's a long season. Maybe, <laughs> maybe later on. Jeez, I couldn't. I couldn't believe though how tired I was just after running five yards with the ball. I don't know how these guys do it. <laughs> I was searching and scanning the Acadia website for some footage of you uh, creating an interception uh, with no avail, Jake. Uh, when's the last time you had interception? Um, I probably not since grade twelve in high school. I used to play. Uh, middle linebackers. I used to get a decent amount of interceptions, but uh, it's definitely been a while. I guess a good 10 years now. What about fumble returns? Fumble returns. I had one in university. I had a, Would have been my greatest play ever. A strip sack, fumble recovery, ran for a touchdown, but they called it back on something. But oh. uh, it's, it's definitely been a Definitely been a while since I've had a big return on a interception or a fumble recovery. The last few fumble recoveries, I've just kind of jumped on the ground and got the ball 
So obviously we have a, a seasoned veteran and an all-star, not to mention the fact that he's in the Hall of Fame defensive lineman who can give us some insight onto footwork and, and to how critical positioning is as a defensive lineman. But from your point of view, Jake, just take us into the trenches a little bit and give us an idea of how critical footwork is and, and how one misstep can really create a disaster uh, for your defense and an incredible play for the team you're playing that's playing offense against you. Yeah, especially with the uh, yard off the ball. If you don't have a good first step, they can, you know, just using a football term, they can reach you and get onto your shoulder. So, you know, that initial step's probably the most important thing in the run and pass game because in the pass game, you really want to kind of eat up the space with a nice long step. But in run games and, uh, you know, teams that run like Montreal who are playing this week, you got to have very clean footwork. You have three new additions on the defensive line uh, this year. What's uh, four games in now? What do you appreciate the most about, about the new guys that have uh, come onto the interior as well as the new uh, defensive end? Yeah, with the interior guys, you know, I think they're, uh, especially for uh, Faith and CJ, they've really started to learn the Canadian game every week. They're getting better and better, asking a lot of questions. And, you know, uh, the hardest part with change, as you would know, is just kind of getting used to playing knowing what other. people, yeah, playing off each other. So yeah. I think we've done a pretty good job through the first four weeks of trying to figure each figure each other out. And I think, uh, you know, they've done, especially CJ, he's done a great job of getting upfield. Then with the uh, Drake, he came as advertised. I remember watching film last year, and I was like, "Who is this guy in Hamilton just throwing people?" But uh, you know, he makes he makes it the job a lot easier for the fellow tackle and D lineman in there. He does a great job of taking two, and when he has just a single block, he makes the most out of it. What's your favorite inside stunt? Uh, we call them waves, a nice little three-man game inside on a, like a 50-front uh, one. Okay. Yeah. Where you like to loop all the way around? You, you take no, the edge? No, I, I, like I like to be the penetrator. Okay. You know? Okay. Or on, uh, I guess, just a simple nose-first game, just getting that head in the crack and kind of going two-for-one on the guard. So, so let's see whatever decision he makes. Do you have the opportunity ever to have your end crash inside, the three-technic crash inside, and you loop all the way around? Because that was, that was my favorite. <laughs> Yeah, we do that a little bit. Okay, okay. It, it's okay, but it's good. You, you always feel, uh, I always feel free and stuff, but, <laughs> geez, the quarterbacks we've been playing this year just been getting rid of the ball so quick. Yeah, some sometimes uh, interior guys uh, don't like all the space out there on the edge. How do you feel about it? I don't mind it. You know, uh, being in Richie's defense and Echeverry's defense kind of before, you know, I've had the opportunity to actually line up there at DN, so... When I do loop to contain, I, I, I feel like I do a pretty decent job and I don't feel too lost out there. Yeah, and at your various defense, weren't you playing a little strong safety at one point as well? Or? Oh, I don't know. I was just <laughs> wherever. We were just all X's. That's how we used to treat it. <laughs> no playbook, right? Free for all, no. right? Yeah, no. Yeah, you definitely uh, you knew what everyone was doing on every play. All right. Uh, my final question for you, probably the most important one of this entire uh, interview. What is your go-to night before pregame meal? Ooh, go-to night before. Okay, for me, uh, it's not so much really the pregame meal the night before. I'm I'm really big on the uh, big breakfast the morning of. Game day, the, big breakfast. Yeah, I'm wow. all about the game day, big, big breakfast. Okay, what, what are you putting away? Depends. Usually... Uh, 
So I guess I'll say if I'm at Stella's, I'd like to get the uh, Grand Cafe. It's not on the menu, but it's the <laughs> three, three eggs and three meats. And it's part of this complete breakfast. Maybe have a small sandwich and not really eat too much besides that. The night before, depending on the city, I really enjoy the keg. Okay. Consistency. So, yeah. Awesome. So what about the idea of a nap? Do you nap on game day, Jake, and maybe take us a little bit uh, further down your game day routine since uh, Doug has so eloquently walked us into that? What happens after uh, breakfast? And, and just talk about what time do you get to the stadium and, and how do you get focused for a big game? Yeah, so uh, usually when we're on the road, I, I room with Jamal Westerman, so uh, we'll wake up a few D-line guys probably around – eight or nine we'll go have breakfast and normally at the d-line we'll just do a quick walk through around 10 then uh once that's over i kind of stay in bed i would stay in bed from like 11 maybe to one might walk the subway and get a sandwich or if there's a local sandwich shop then i'll i'll stay in bed really till 3 30 then me and jamal usually cab over and try to get to the stadium for three three and a half hours before the game pretty standard routine good stuff man Yep. I counted no less than three potential endorsement deals for you there. Subway, the keg, and Stella's. Well done, Jake Thomas. Yeah, you got to throw those out there, you know? That's a great way to eat for free in this town. <laughs> and beauty rest, too. Like Siemens uh, beauty rest. You got to give him a, a bed thing there since he's lounging on game. <laughs> yeah, day, right? hey, hey, if you want to throw these pitches out there, I'll, I'll, I'll take you to Stella's if they give me a free breakfast. <laughs> Jake Thomas, number 95 defensive tackle with your Winnipeg Blue Bombers. Thanks for joining us on uh, this week's player feature. All right, thanks for having me. Thanks, Jake. The Shadow Davis Show. Oh, you got proof that aliens walk among us? That's great. I just played poker this weekend with the Sasquatch. Let's grab a bottle of rye and we can talk about it. The Shadow Davis Show, weekdays 6 to 10 on 680 CJOB. Hey, it's Greg Mackling for Doug Brown and the Blue Bomber Podcast. We love to send you to Blue Bomber games, but we can't send everyone... We draw for a pair of tickets after every podcast, so please send this week to 204-780-6868 the keyword NOX. That is your ticket to Blue Bomber Action, 204-780-6868. Text the word NOX, K-N-O-X, for Kyle Knox. And if we choose your name, you're off to a Blue Bomber football game, courtesy of the Blue Bomber Podcast. Welcome back to the Blue Bomber Podcast with Doug Brown. Let's get back to the action. Ball snap. Dressler puts it down. Medlock puts it up. And it's short. short. It's short. It's deja vu all over again. Thanks to Jake Thomas for joining us. Greg Backling and, of course, Doug Brown here, the former All-Star and now Hall of Fame member, former defensive lineman of the Winnipeg Blue Bombers and, of course, color commentator of Blue Bomber football here on 680 CJOB. And uh, Doug Brown, what was it like working with Kelly Moore on his initial broadcast? You were the pillar of strength for yeah. Kelly Moore you on Friday night. He's uh, He loves it. You could just tell his his relationship with, with football, hockey, whatever. Uh, he's just he's a passionate guy. He, he, takes a, he got excited in that game. I mean, what a game it was right uh, regardless of the outcome um 
800 plus yards of offense. What was it? A 87 points scored. I was just fantastic debut. And you know, he's a guy that that excitement's just palpable in his voice. So he was a lot of fun to work with. Uh, obviously, uh, you know, Bob Irving is about a, a special a situation as you can get into in, in broadcasting, but uh, it certainly was a, a good time with Kelly as well. I have to give you credit. You didn't break out any fingers, any toes when you were adding up 45 and 42. <laughs> you did it on the fly, DB. Well done, my man. <laughs> Thanks, Jeff. <laughs> <laughs> Here's the headline from your uh, free press article uh, from this week. Successful coaches use deception as spice, not main ingredient. I mentioned this earlier in the podcast. It feels to me as though the Blue Bombers are going a little bit deep into that playbook uh, for now approaching five games into the season. Does it seem that way to you as well? Well, first and foremost, I want to put the disclaimer out there, and this is good information you get to share with people. I don't actually get to write my titles. I don't know if you know. I get to write the article, but I, I send it in, and they just put whatever they want on it. I wanted, if it was up to me, my title would have been, you know, are they overcompensating for a lack of offensive uh, explosiveness by doing all these gambles on special teams? That would have been my, my title for this story. And the reason you say that, you look at the score at the end of the game and you're like, oh, 42 points. Awesome night by the mm. offense, right? But then you break it down and you're like, okay, there was that amazing pump block up the middle, which huge credit to the special teams. Score touchdown off that, right? And then you had the, the fake field goal, um, which was also a full credit to the special teams. Uh, creative, innovative, took a lot of stones to make that call. Onside play there, recover that, score another touchdown, right? And then you have the third touchdown. We just talked to Jake Thomas, uh, you know, interior defensive lineman, intercepting a ball, having the presence of mind uh, to pitch that, hand that off uh, to his uh, linebacker, Kyle Knox, and he goes in and scores. That's three touchdowns right there. So all of a sudden now you're talking about an offense that really put together drives themselves and scored 21 points. Otherwise, they were really gifted extremely short fields and or seven points from the defense. Changes things up. And I I honestly think... In the, in the game planning for BC, they were looking, they're like, w- can we run with these guys? You know, is is Matt Nichols as prolific as a Travis Lule or a Jonathan Jennings? Do we have the same receivers? to ma- Are they as dynamic and explosive and home run hitters as we saw from the BC Lions? I think there are a lot of no's to those, uh, those questions. And uh, I think they said, hey, we need to have, we need to gamble, roll the dice, and we're going to go into BC and come out and, and, and run with these guys. Uh, I, I think we need to do some things that, that are very risky, right? Uh, a lot of gambling. We saw a bunch of them pay off, but we also someone, uh, saw one that was just getting carried away. It was, it was too much, too late, and too much at stake kind of thing. So it, it's an interesting, when you look at the game as a whole, you're just like, why are they so aggressive, hyper-aggressive on special teams? And I think it's to compensate for what they are perceived shortcomings, what they have offensively, and they can't run with the BC Lions. So without that Ryan Lankford uh, kickoff return on the first play of the game against Toronto, and that incredible fake or block punt, a, I've never seen a punt blocked before it was kicked. Before uh, yeah, that up. was the strangest thing <laughs> I've drop, ever seen. Yeah. yeah, on the drop. Like, oh my God, how do they get in that quickly? But the, the idea is correct. The Bombers essentially have zero points, courtesy of their offense in in any first quarter of this season, and we are heading into week five. So that's extremely problematic. And this whole idea of 
the effort that they're having to go through to get the ball into the hands of Weston Dressler. Outside of the first game where they where he broke two long touchdowns, they're handing the ball off to him on this jet sweep thing, and they're having to do things that are very reminiscent of, well, look when Milt Stiegel got his record-breaking touchdown. It's like, well, everybody in the building knows how we're going to get him the ball, so we're going to flea flicker it to him yeah. and basically run a running play. What is that telling you when they are running running plays with one of the most gifted receivers in the Canadian Football League. Is it a credit to the way Dressler is playing and they want to get the ball to him, or are they acknowledging that they're having difficulty getting him open in a traditional sense? Yeah, I think that's it. I think once you start taking a player out of out of his strengths and out of his normal and standard role, and you start using him in different ways that he's not necessarily... I can't stand when they hand off the ball to Weston Dressler inside the tackles. I think he's going to get killed out there, right? He's a guy that has been susceptible. It's not like you're getting more durable as you get older kind of thing and and uh, you're, you're exactly right you know it, it speaks to how are you not able to just utilize him as a receiver have him as your number one your go-to guy your top target out there and and is he not getting open is he getting too much coverage Darvin Adams kind of had a breakout game in BC it's going to be interesting to see how that evolves because I just I don't know anything in the backfield I want Andrew Harris to have and I don't really want I, I really don't want a, a, a receiver that weighs you know under 170 pounds or whatever he does uh, having that being in that danger zone kind of thing and it's a very interesting uh, point you bring up and something to pay attention to in terms of uh, how our coverage is moving is he being bracketed what what's happening is he being doubled and and or are his routes not getting i mean he seemed obviously in that saskatchewan game to have no problem finding seams and holes and there was obviously some busted coverages there but uh he, he was able to take advantage of what was out in the field so is Matt Nichols not recognizing when he's getting open or do they just want him to get into the flow of a game because they're not having so many opportunities and maybe they feel they have to get the ball to the rest of the people? It's a very good question and something uh, we should pay more attention to and possibly follow up when we have an opportunity. I'm going to sh- give a shout out to my brother who made the point and I agree with him wholeheartedly. No one in the CFL runs a corner route better than Clarence Denmark. It's bothersome to me that they haven't got the ball into Clarence Denmark's hands more often and the flip side of what they're doing with Dressler, Doug, is the idea that we're throwing to Andrew Harris out of the backfield. I know that's part of the package with Harris. He's an incredible asset no matter how you put the ball in his hands. But are they throwing too much or is this just the new CFL where, you know what, you've got an asset like Harris, whether you're pitching it, handing it off, or throwing it to him out of the backfield, just put the ball in his hands and, and it's all good. Yeah, no, I, I, I like that's, that's one player where uh, I, I do think you need to involve him more in more different ways than just having him uh, as a running back but it's also of concern because you look at you look at you know I like teams I think any team that that you know, is going to compete or or be in the running for a championship. I think you have to have excellent fundamentals, and you have to be better than a whole bunch of other teams at running the ball, at just passing the ball. You know, not with motion and misdirection, and and using guys in different positions and and matchup quandaries, and those things are fine for change ups, but you really need to be good at those fundamental processes, right? Stopping the run, rushing the passer as a defense, right? And offensively, it's running the ball and throwing the ball. 
So I don't really see right now where they're separating themselves from the pack in any really any of those segments right now. And I think until they do, they're going to be moving guys around and and using them all over the place. And it's just going to look a little gimmicky until they can really excel at those fundamental offensive processes. And, and the same to an extent goes for the defense as well. I think you got to run that 32 dive play as well as anything else before you start running and, and expanding the play tree, right? And and this is where we are four games in and they're, and they're on Appendix B, subsection 5 of these different plays. And, and we shouldn't be there really until week 14, 15, or 16 in my mind. Yeah, sometimes, you know, qu- coordinators... Uh, they get too smart for their own good. They overcomplicate right. it. And, and sometimes you need to simplify things and just get really, really good at the basic. And you keep doing it over and over and over again. So in a game, hey, what is our bread and butter here? I, I don't really know. A pass to Andrew Harrison, the flat, is that your bread? And, I'm not really sure what your bread and butter is for this offense. And I think, uh, you know, by a third of the way through the season, hopefully halfway through, you are able to def- define what these things are. And that can be the foundation for further success and further development and complication when it comes to your schemes. Okay, here's the bonus question. It's for uh, zero points, but you got to answer it because it's your podcast. Oh. What on earth is Rock Carmichael still doing as a member of the Winnipeg Blue Bomber defense? This guy is getting lit up like there's no tomorrow. This guy's nickname must be Times Square because it is ridiculous to see the way offenses are taking advantage of this guy. Can I use the no comment that some of the players are? Nope. No. <laughs> you have no comment. Uh, it's a no comment free zone in the studio yeah, today, Doug. You know, you know what? I've, I've never tried to cover anybody outside of uh, recreational football, so uh, I, I don't pretend to understand I don't think that. I Either one of us is suggesting we could do a better job, but just before the text messages start flowing in, but why else? we're not suggesting this. Yes, yes. No, it's uh, it's a tough spot, and sometimes coaches see enough in an individual and their potential that they want to weather these storms with them because they think they're going to come out on the other side forged into something that, you know, a, a player that can build and grow and not make these mistakes anymore. I don't know when that point or that time is going to be. I don't know when the cost benefit analysis ends up being so uh, off skew, off center from from the cost versus the benefit where they say enough is enough, but uh, it's got to be getting close and I can only wish the best for him going forward. Doug, thanks for this. It's the Blue Bomber podcast where we talk about stuff that we wouldn't necessarily otherwise talk about on the air. So this really is an insider podcast where you get Doug's comments on things that he might not necessarily tell Doug. <laughs> Son of a that was a good segment. Too. It was. He might not say. Jerry, <laughs> you'll have to are, cut this. I, I like that. These are things he might say that he would otherwise regret later. That's right. <laughs> These are things Doug might not otherwise say on the air with, with Bob Irving, but he says them here on the Blue Bomber Podcast. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next week. The Blue Bomber Podcast with Doug Brown. That is, wow, that's fantastic. I like that. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast in iTunes or at cjob.com.